Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. What does it mean to pursue? Pursue means you're hungry for more of God. Pursue means that there's a desire and a passion in your life. Pursue is active and proactive. So we're pursuing. I love this statement that pursuit is the proof of desire. I want to say that again. Pursuit is the proof of desire. There are a lot of people that say, I really desire to do something, but I notice they never do anything about that. They really don't desire it. I remember a, a conversation that was a little shocking but made a point to a couple of uh, uh, minister friends were talking and one was an incredible pianist and, and, his, and the other minister said to him, I wish I could play the piano like you do. And the pianist looked at him and said, no, you don't. He said, excuse me? He said, you don't want to play the piano like I do. He said, what do you mean? He said, or you would have practiced like I practiced. <laughs> You would have pursued like I pursued. You would have done what I've done. So what is a proof of desire? It is pursuit. Can I tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a 60-second free marriage counseling right now. Are all husbands and wives listening to me? Do you know there's a word, uh, i got to be real careful, you know, keep this PG, okay, right now. Have I got your attention now for that? They got to keep it PG. See, there was this thing that, that if, if you're a, a godly couple while you're dating, you have to keep a, a, a monitor on and that's your desires. Come on, how many understand what I'm talking about? Don't look at me that way. Let's be honest. So you're dating godly. You got you to keep a limit on the desire. But, 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 you know, once you get married, you, you get a little bit of license there. Come on, anybody in the house with me? But see, here's the deal. Uh, if you really want... That passion in your marriage, you got to pursue him or her like you did before. You're not, let me try over on this side. I'm going to go to this side of the church. The proof of, of desire is pursuit. If you want your wife to love you like she used to love you, then you need to pursue her like you used to pursue her. If you want your husband to, you know, love you like he used to love you, then you need to pursue him like you used to pursue him. If you want to have your first love with the Lord like you did, if you don't want to be lukewarm, if you don't want to be half-hearted, if you don't want to be half-backslidden, if you don't want to, as we heard, live in the ashes of what God did yesterday, but in the fire of what he's doing today, you're going to have to pursue some things in your life. Okay. So right, we kind of understand pursuit and what this is about. David, we're going to look at his life today. Uh, we, we saw David in one setting in his life where he was, he was motivated and passionate about pursuing something, but it is what he had lost. Unfortunately, many of us never uh, generate, never move into, never, never understand pursuit until it's something uh, that we lost. You remember that in, in 1 Samuel 30, David and his 400 men were living in Ziklag. It was during the season of him being a fugitive from Saul. And so David and his men had been gone and they came back to Ziklag and the city was burned down. The Amalekite raiders had come and stolen their wives and children. And, and the Bible said they were so distressed that these strong warriors wept until they had no strength. They became so bitter at their loss, they were turning against David. But David, instead of being bitter as the men were, turned to God. And the Bible said he encouraged himself in the Lord. 
And in that moment of encouraging himself in the Lord, he, he, he realized it might not be over. And he said, God, what do I do? Listen to this. And God said, David said, God, do I go after them? God, can I recover everything the enemy's stolen away from me? There, you need to have something in you today that says, God, that's rising up in you, that you're not accepting what the devil has stolen from you. That you're not putting up with what the enemy's stolen. Anybody tracking with me right now? He said, God, can I go after them? This is what God said. He said, you pursue them and you'll recover everything that the devil's taken from you. And sometimes it's a little easier to be motivated to recover what we've lost. We get passionate about that. But we're reading today. We're going to drop in on a moment in David's life when he had not lost anything. When his motivation was not to recover what was lost, but there was something going on in his life that separated him from most people. What this pursuit is about for all of us here at Calvary is that we're saying, God, I don't want to be an average ordinary believer. Anybody tracking with me right now? God, I don't want to live on what you've already done. I don't want to be a person whose passion is only turned on in a crisis. God, I want to be a person that has learned to pursue you when others are not pursuing you. When the circumstances, listen, when the circumstances are not dictating, I have to pursue. So let's look at this moment. Let, let's see. We're in First Chronicles 13. I know some of you have already turned your phone off and thought I forgot about that. First Chronicles 13. Let's look at verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring back Let's, let's look at this again. Let us bring the ark of the Lord our God back to us. So the ark, the presence of God, was not with them. David said, we need to bring the ark back. We need to restore the presence of God. We did not require of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David said in this, in this account, in this moment, he said, we need to bring the ark back. If you're not so familiar with that terminology, the Ark of the Covenant was what was one of the things God had spoken to Moses on the mountain and said, when you build the tabernacle for me to come to dwell in the Holy of Holies there, it, 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 the only piece is the Ark of the Covenant, and my glory will dwell there. And so through the series of events, I'll, I'll reference in a moment, Israel had not only backslidden and turned their hearts on God, they had lost the Ark of God, which was the very manifested presence of God on the earth at that time. So the nation of God, they had a title but didn't have the presence. Are you with me? They had the title as God's people, but they didn't have the presence of God with them. And David says, we're going to go get the ark. We're going to bring something back. That's what a revival is. A revival is saying, God, if I ever loved you more than I love you right now, I'm going to get some things back in my life. Revival is if I ever had a passion for you greater than the passion I have right now, I'm going to do something about that. And so David says, let's go get the ark. Let's bring the ark back. And, and, and what is so significant about this statement? This is what I want you to see as we look at pursuit. Now, in this moment, David is not in a crisis. 
Nobody has stolen his family or burned his home. He hasn't lost a thing. In fact, when David makes this declaration, we're going to go back and get the ark. It was at the highest moment of his life. As a young shepherd boy, you know the account. God sent the prophet Samuel to him and poured the oil on his head and anointed him and said, you're going to be the next king. And don't you love when God gives you a promise that we get the answer the next day? Come on, how many love that? I mean, don't you love that? I love that. I mean, you and I live in a microwave generation. Isn't the longest 60 seconds in the world standing in front of a microwave? Come on, tell the truth. What has happened to us? I mean, you know, if if I got to warm anything up, of course, I couldn't cook my way out of a wet paper bag. Thank God for a godly wife who knows how to take care of me. Thank you, Jesus. I, Phyllis had to check on her mom one time when our girls were little and, and, and I said, I got this, I can take care of him. You go take care of mom. It, it, was, it was bad when she got home. That's all I can say. Nobody told me when you make cream of wheat, you got to stir it. I didn't know you stir it. Put it in that thing. We had cream of wheat meatballs that day. It was still cream of wheat. Just break it up and eat it. It'll be fine. I knew something terrible would happen. That was, that was in the 80s, you know, in the big hair days. How many ladies remember big hair? Come on. Let me see your hand. How many remember the big, you've been long enough, lived long enough. Now, here's the funny part. How, how about some of you men that had big hair in the 80s? Don't look like that. Yes, you did. Now, when a young wife says to her husband, she came back and looked at Meredith and Nicole's hair. <laughs> Listen, I can't make cream of wheat. I sure can't fix anybody's hair. And she looked at those girls and she looked at me very seriously. It scared me. She said, George, if something ever happens to me, you listen to me. She said, you marry somebody as quickly as you can or these girls are not going to survive. I thought everything was fine. No one was bleeding. Nobody had fell down the stairs. No one had starved. We hadn't called the doctor. DHR hadn't showed up. Everything was fine. But back in the 80s, you know what it was like, you know, in these things. So, <laughs> so, so here's what we're seeing. Everything was good. Everything was good. It wasn't a crisis. The children weren't starving. It wasn't this. This, this is what happened to David. God had come in and, and said to him, you're going to be the king. But it didn't happen immediately. He waited. He was still tending sheep. And then, and then he kills a giant, Goliath. Okay, surely this is it. And he comes in there to serve Saul. And Saul becomes what? He becomes jealous and insecure because the power and the presence of God had left his life. And then David runs as a fugitive. So David had been through all of that. But finally here we have him. He's not a fugitive. His enemy Saul is dead. He was made king over Judah and waited seven more years. And now he's the king over all Israel. I want you to see this was the biggest moment of his life. He had waited years and years and years for this moment. But what I want you to see, the very first thing this man did, he had everything life could give him. He sat on a throne. He had wealth. He had power. He had victory over his enemies. But he said, there's something in my heart that is missing. And it is the presence of Almighty God. You can give me everything. Thank you, God, for the throne. Thank you that my enemies are defeated. Thank you that the promise is true. But if I don't have the presence of God I don't have anything in my life that's what you call pursuit when you don't have to but you do it anyway 
when it's not a need, but you do it anyway. When you didn't get a bad report from the doctor, but you're praying like you did. When you don't have a bill you can't pay, but you're praising him like you got everything you ever needed. See, it's when you say, God, I want to thank you. Anybody thankful today? God, I want to thank you. You've been good to me. You remember the days. How many remember the days when you lived paycheck to paycheck? Some of you still are. How many remember the day when you didn't have enough money at the end of the month? How many remember when you didn't know how you were going to make it, but you're here and you made it and God blessed you and God brought you through? Then you get to that moment where you're not praying because you have a need. You're praying just because I love you, God. You're not praising to get through it. You're praising to get to it. See, God, I just love you. God, I just praise you. God, I just thank you. David was at the highest moment of his life. And he said, I'm still pursuing God. Remember, he worshiped when he was a shepherd boy. He wrote psalms so nobody heard him but the sheep. And now he becomes king and he says, I'm still hungry. I'm still wanting. I'm still moving you. Come on, church. Pursuit is when your pastor gets up and steps on your toes. Pursuit is when the pastor gets up and rocks the love boat. Come on. (laughs) It's when I'm telling you God's been good, but he's going to get better. Come on. When I'm telling you, you may have everything you want. You're probably better off than you ever thought you'd be in life. But unless we have the presence of God, the spirit of God, unless this church says, God... If you don't go with us, we're not going to go. Like Moses standing there, Lord, if you don't go with us, we're not going. Like Moses said, God, what's the one thing that will separate us, define us, mark us as your people? If your spirit is not with us, we're not any different than anybody else. We're just another meeting. David pursued the presence of God. You see, now watch this though. There's often this thing. The Bible never just gives us the highlight reel of someone's life. So David had a great passion. David had a great desire. He he wanted the presence of God. He's pursuing God. But we we need to read these verses too. Because there's something to learn here. So let's watch this. Let's go to verse 5. 1 Chronicles 13, 5. So David assembled all the Israelites from the Shihar River in Egypt to Lebo. Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all the Israelites with him went to Bala of Judah, Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of the Lord, who's enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourine, cymbals, and trumpets. You get the picture? The, the, the ark is on this cart. It's beginning to move. David and everyone there, they're worshiping. They're celebrating. The worship team is on steroids. Everything is moving. I mean, it is... It's glory. It's, you understand? It's everything they've been looking for, thinking of, praying for. It, what a beginning. What a beginning. And we get to verse 9. When they came to what? Remember that. <clears throat> this happened at the threshing floor. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. And he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before the Lord. Wow. 
Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Perez means the breakout. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? What a turn of events. What an unbelievable moment. They're celebrating. They're praising. You, 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 gotta, you, you must hear this. You must hear this. They were sincere. Do you know sincerity is not enough? Do you know they were sincere but misguided? Are you with me? Do you know that, that, that they wanted the presence of God? I want to say something. I want you to hear, hear what I'm going to say. They, 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 they wanted the presence, but they didn't understand the protocol. They, they, they wanted God to meet them where they were. They wanted the blessing of his presence, but they hadn't learned the burden of getting him there. <laughs> now, I say burden not in a bad sense, but we're going to see in a moment here. So, so what created this moment? Israel had so turned our heart away from God preceding this moment that even the priesthood had become defiled. Samuel's sons were reprobates. They were reprobate priests. They were ungodly, perverse men. They made a mockery of the house of God. They used it for personal benefit. They allowed sexual immorality into the house of God. These men were a shame to the name of the Lord. But their father allowed it to go on and on. And what happened is this, this uh, familiarity with the presence without the recognition of his holiness began to shift something in that nation. Are you listening to me today? This sense that I can drop in and out of God anytime I want, any way I want. This sense that his presence isn't, isn't as glorious and mighty and holy as it was began to permeate the mentality of that nation. They began to take for granted the presence of God, the glory of God, the ark of God, the anointing of God. It reached such a level that they were in battle against the Philistines and, and they were losing. And so somebody said, well, go get the ark and take it out of its place. They were never to have moved it. And they brought it into the camp. And when, and, and when the ark of God came into the camp of the army of Israel, they shouted so loud that the Philistines heard them and said, what in the world has happened? And I could tell you this, and, 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 and just stay with me. Don't, don't get up and leave right now. Let, we'll, I'll get to the rest of the story. But you need to hear the middle of this thing. And they shouted so loud that, that the earth shook. I, I, I want to help you with something today. Serving God, pursuing God. Please hear me. Doesn't mean I can just come to church and shout sometime. There's a lot of people that have the shout but don't have the clout. <laughs> There's a lot of people that will put on a show but they, they don't have the presence of God in their life. They'll come in and live off the overflow of anointing. Are you listening to me today? Think I can live like the devil all week and come to church on Sunday and everything's going to be okay. I'm going to go to the club on Saturday night and come on Sunday. I'm going to sow my wild oats Saturday night and come to church Sunday morning and pray for crop failure. See, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And I'm just going to let my buddy God walk in. And so they brought this ark and said, well, if I can bring the ark, we have to win. They thought they could manipulate the presence of God. And you know what happened? They lost the battle. <laughs> they were defeated. And this ungodly Philistine nation stole the ark of God. 
And so they stole the ark of God and and they put it in the temple of their false demon idol God as a trophy. But they came in the next day and the idol gods had fallen on their face. (laughs) The only time an idol ever moved in the Bible is when they dare bring the presence of God in the face of those demonic statues. And even the statue had to fall down on its face before God. And so they said in that city, get that ark out of here. And they took it to another place and a plague broke out on that place. And they took it to another place and everybody said, we don't want that in this place. I'm telling you, God is not a God against. He's not a God that's bad. He's not a God that's ugly. But he is a holy, righteous, mighty God to be respected and revered. And I believe that God is about to show himself mighty in this nation. And the naysayers and the liars and the accusers and the... The perverts and the hypocrites are going to have to bow before God and say he is real. He is mighty. He is holy. We cannot disrespect the one true God. So finally they said, we don't want this ark. We don't want this thing. We're afraid of God. So they put the ark on a cart and send it back to Israel. Now David wanted the presence of God. But he forgot to check the word of God. See, God's going to obey his word. God's going to follow his word. See, there's some charismatics. Come on, let's be real. There's some Pentecostals. They they forgot what the word of God said. Don't, Don't look at me funny. They think the proof of God is a goose bump, not a verse. Well, it felt good. Well, you can go feel good a lot of ways. Don't mean it's God. Am I clear enough? And so what David did was try to bring the presence back the way the Philistines had. And we don't access God by natural ability. We don't access God the way the Philistines did. We don't bring revival back doing it like somebody else did it. We get the word of God open before our faith. We get on our knees in the presence of Almighty God. And we don't have to beg him. We don't have to plead with him. And we don't have to be afraid of him. We just need to be hungry for him. And when we line up with the word, God will do what he's been wanting to do. See, they thought, I can just... Run in and out of the presence of God. They become so familiar. The oxen stumbled. The ark began to rock. And the man touched what only no man can touch. God had to honor his word. We're going to find in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, you see. No, let's read this though. Let me show you something. Because there's, let's go to verse 14. Some people have the idea. That's all they know about God. Just that moment. They're afraid of God. The fear of God doesn't mean I'm afraid God's going to get me. If God wanted to get you, you'd be gotten now. If God wanted to get you, you're not that hard to find. If God wanted to get you, you're not that fast or clever. I know you think you're bad. I know you think you're playing your game right now. Some of you listen to me. Not, not everybody in the house, but some of you think you're slick. You got your wife fooled right now. Some of you got your boss fooled right now. <laughs> but you're not that smart. You're not that good. You're, you've mistaken mercy for approval. And I'm going to give you a chance to get things right before it catches up with you today. Because you're on borrowed time right now. Especially you right there. Listen to me. You got me? You're on borrowed time right now. So I want you to listen to me right now. See, some people only know that kind of scary. God's at me. God's going to get me. But let's watch this. Watch this. Verse 14. What happened? David said, I don't know what to do. I I, I wanted to bring God in. And then this man touches the ark and he dies. I, I don't know what to do. Look at verse 14. 
or let, verse 13 and 14. He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So, I mean, you think anybody wanted that ark after the guy falls dead? But watch this. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Do you understand that the presence of God is not something you have to be frightened of. It's something you respect and honor. And when you honor the presence of God and bring him in your house, you don't have to be afraid. You're about to get blessed when you do that. You see, it's just honoring that. I want the presence of God in my house. Anybody want the presence in your house? I'm not afraid of his presence. I need his presence. But I love him. I honor him. God's not the God to get you and mess you up and tear you up. He's the God that wants to walk into your house and do something glorious. So go to, come on, I got to hurry. Go to chapter 15 and verse 1. So what happens? There was a period of time, a delay. And, 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 and during this time God continues Listen to this To bless David And bless Israel What David had that, To start off I read in verse chapter 13 He even has more of it To start chapter 15 But there was something In this man I want to have it In my heart I want to have it In the heart And the DNA of Calvary That says God you're blessing us But we want more of you God you've been Really good to us But we want more of you God, you've answered my prayers and brought me from a long way out. But God, I just want to be closer to you. I love you. I want to know you. We sang it today. God, I want to make room for you. God, I want to create space for you. And so we get to chapter 15, verse 1. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God. David said, I've never forgotten. I want that ark back. God, I want your presence in the city. God, I don't want to be a king without a God. I don't want to be sitting on the throne without the presence of God. He prepared a place. He had everything ready. Verse 2, then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and the minister before him forever. David said, oh, I got it this time. I tried to do it without the word. I tried to do it my own way. I tried to do it the way the Philistines did it. But when I line up with the word, when I honor God, when I give him a chance, when I pursue God, God's more than willing to come in. God's more than ready to walk in. God's blessing will rest on me. God's blessing will rest on me. Let's look at this verse 25 in this 15th chapter. So what happens when you get this thing right? What happens when we come to God by the word? What happens when we pursue God? When we say, I'm not going to settle for anything else, even after you made a mistake. How many heard what I just said? See, some people went, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm going to try God. I'm going to give God a chance. You know, you've been living for the devil 32 years and give God 32 days and you, and, and you walk off. You don't try God, you serve God. You say, here's my life. And so some of us have failed. Anybody ever failed? Tell the truth. Okay. Now, I'm not going to ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever served God and backslidden? You didn't have, I didn't ask you to raise your hand. And you're out there and the devil says, you blew it. You said you love God and you blew it. You were, you're in that church worshiping and look at you right now. Look where you are. Look how far you are. Look what's happened to your life. You're an embarrassment. You're a failure. But I'm going to tell you something. All you have to do is reach down deep one more time 
and say, I'm hungry for God. God, I miss your presence. God, I miss your presence. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I made a mistake. God, I blew this thing. God, I want your presence. And so you come back to God. We're in chapter 15 and verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom, that house that was blessed of God because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant the way God said. Seven bulls and seven rams are sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and as were the singers in the Kenan and, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choir. David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and cymbals and the playing of harps. It was a mighty awesome moment the ark the, the the ark was coming the presence was coming i want you to see this but david the king who wore the golden crown and sat on the golden throne and wore the royal robes david said i'm going to take off the royal robe i'm going to take the crown off my head i'm going to put on the plain linen garment of a priest i would rather be a worshiper than a king i would rather have the presence than the title anybody with me i'd rather bow before god than sit on the throne that a man gave me I would rather come in this place and humble myself and can I tell you something when you come to a place in serving God when you say God it's not about titles it's not about riches it's not about blessing it's not about what I have my highest title is worshiper my highest office is praiser the greatest passion in my life is I want more of you David was worshiping God. God was blessing. God was moving. We have to look at verse 29. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. This is David's wife. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. The flesh will always resist the spirit. Dead religion will always be offended at a living manifestation of the spirit of God. Someone may ridicule you, criticize you, not like your worship. Here's what I've learned about people. If you don't know what I've been through, you don't know how to celebrate my breakthrough. Come on, come on. Somebody may get a shout in church, dance in church, celebrate in church, weep in church, be joyful in church. Before we look down our nose from a window of judgment, we better understand what God did to put them in that place. So here's a question. (laughs) Are we going to pursue and live in the presence of God? Are we just going to exist? Are we going to live in purpose? Are we going to just survive or are we going to reign in life as men and women who seek the presence of God? Am I going to be happy to be lukewarm or am I going to live on fire? I'm going to tell you, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to heaven lukewarm. How many listen to me tonight? I'm not going to go to heaven lukewarm. I'm not going to live my life that God is blessed and in my days lukewarm, apathetic, unconcerned. I'm not going to live like a Saul. I'm going to live like a David. Anybody with me right now? Look at this verse, John 7. 37, 38, 39. Look at these verses. The Bible says here that on the last and greatest day of the feast, do you see the setting? On the last and the greatest day of the feast, they had been going to the, uh, to the buffet three times a day for seven days. Seriously. A little different buffet. Same thing. Now, you, they were full. It was the last day. 
It was the greatest day of the feast. Everybody's full. Everybody's stuffed. Okay. It, it, Weight Watchers would have been horrified at this event. 1-800-JENNY would have blown her fuse that day. But in that setting, people full physically. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Is anybody thirsty? Is anybody still hungry? Is anybody still unsatisfied? Does anybody want more than what this world can put inside of you? Is anybody, does anyone still have a longing down inside of here? Is anybody thirsty in the house? He goes to the next two verses and he said this. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, streams of living water will start flowing from him. Look at this one more verse I want you to see. By this he meant the spirit. By this he meant the spirit of those who believed in him. How many believe in him? Who were later to receive. He's speaking to you and I that day. The spirit had not yet been given. See it's not been glorified. So I want to stand here on the morning of the third day of pursuit. And I want to say Calvary is anybody still thirsty? Is anybody still hungry? Does anybody still want to go deeper with God? Have more with God? See look at this verse. Second Chronicles 5, 6. When, when they had built that temple. When, the, when Solomon, David's son, had built it and they were dedicating the presence and God began to come and look at this. King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark. Look at this. Sacrificing so many sheep and cattle, they could not be recorded or counted. There was a response to the presence of God where they gave and they gave and they gave and they gave and you could not even count how many offerings had gone up before God that day. This is what God told me this week about pursuit. He said, if you and I will stop counting what we give to God, God will stop measuring what he pours back on your life. Oh, come on. Anybody hear what I'm talking about? I had some misguided man say to me, well, I'm going to tithe and I'm going to keep a record on God and see what God's going to do. I said, you might as well save your money, pal. You might as well put it back. God doesn't need your measly little dollars and what you think you can do. You think you can keep a record on the God of this universe? I'm saying there's a place you come in life where you say, God, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's my prayer. Here's my obedience. Here's my sacrifice. And when man can't count it, heaven stops counting it. When man can't measure it, heaven stops measuring what God can do. There's a moment. There's a place. There's a setting. There's an opportunity that God gives in your life. Put these last verses up here. I, I want you to read this with me. It's, it's important. Now, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jeho- Jehoash, the king of Israel... Went down to see him. And he wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. This Elisha was the prophet. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. Look at the next verse. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands. And he took the bow. Took the bow in his hands. And he said, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Good news. Hallelujah. We're going to defeat our enemy. God is with us. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took the arrows. 
And Elisha told him, strike the ground. But see, he was still counting. He was still measuring. And so he said, you got him in your hand. He said, the moment is there. How much do you want? How much do you want from God? What are you willing to believe God for? One, two, three times he struck the ground. And that seems all and well, but let's look at the next verse. Then the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. I didn't tell you to stop. I just said, start. (laughs) Did you hear that? I didn't tell you to stop. I just said, start. Pursuit is not where you stop. Pursuit is where you start. Pursuit is not where you count. It's where you begin. He said, I just said, strike the ground. You could have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. See, there's that Christian that says, I don't want just enough of God to get me through the night. I don't want just enough of God to get me through the crisis. I don't want just enough of God to get me back where I was. I want to go where I've never been before. There are just enough believers that they're not saying, God, help me deal with my habit. There's one that said, get me out of this habit. It's not just enough to find me a little support group where everybody in the group's addicted and we all make each other feel better about being addicted. I'm not just talking about drugs. We ought to have gossip groups. We ought to have unbelief life groups. We ought to have some of those kind of groups. And it's not just about get me enough to get me through. Help me get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. Help me barely make it. I want Calvary to go in the rapture. And when we go in the rapture, I want us to hit the brake going in the front door and burn rubber all the way down the street of gold and pray to God we don't come out the backside before we get stopped. Strike the ground. One, two, three. Why did you do that? You could have defeated him. Look at the next verse. Elisha died. It's his last chance. That king had an opportunity in his hand that never came back to him again. Elisha died after this. He didn't get a redo. You know, some of you golfers, you take a mulligan. Some of you take more than you're supposed to. And discount your score and tell your buddies how good you are. Stop it. Did a remix. I want a redo. I want to back that up and try it again. He didn't get a redo. Prophet died. He could have beat those arrows until every enemy that stood in front of him never had the courage to come back again. And so, Calvary, I want to say today, let's pursue God. Let's not do one or two or three. Let's pursue God. I want to do this for you today. I want to do this for your family. I want to do this for your children. I want to do this for your prodigals. I want to do this for your health. I want to do this for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to do this for the North Alabama. I want to do it for the school. I want to do it for your health. And I'm going to say, not one, but again and again and again, till I don't have anything left. God, we're going to break this thing off. We're going to beat this thing down. We're going to tear this thing up. We're going to do what we do till the enemy can't come on us again. And if that's your hunger, if that's your passion, I want you to get out of your seat and come down here and say, God, I want more of you today. God, I want more than I've had. I want to see it happen. You've been good to me. You've blessed me. You've helped me. But I want more. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your blessing on my life. Thank you, God, for all you've done. Come on. Somebody pursue the presence of God. God, I want more. Thank you, God. 
Thank you, God. It's not just about a moment. I don't want a little bit of church. I want a lot of God. I want more than I've ever had before. I want to go into another place. I want to do what I want to do. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.